When it comes to cyber attacks, it's more a matter of if than when, no matter how strong your cyber hygiene is. One of the best ways to minimize damage from cyber attacks is to be prepared for them. So how do you get your organization prepared? Tabletop exercises and penetration testing are great ways to help prepare your incident response plan. Unfortunately, too many organizations don't think about response until the incident has already happened. Hey, welcome back. I am Gary Cohen. Thanks so much for joining us again on the ICS Pulse podcast. Joining me, as always, is Tyler Wall. Hello. Welcome back, everybody. And as always, I got to start off with these wonderful questions that I always have. Gary, what is your favorite Pop-Tart? I would have to go with the classic cinnamon brown sugar. I know there's a lot of different ones out there. When I this is this is my I walked uphill uh, both directions in the snow. When I was a kid, there weren't that many Pop Tart flavors. There's a lot more now, uh, but I've I've always been a sucker for the cinnamon brown sugar. I will tell you, I don't have those in my house because my children do not like the cinnamon brown sugar, which hurts me deeply to my core. How about you? I am a strawberry Pop-Tart man myself, even toasted. I love them. So I have always, I've, I've bounced around uh, when I was younger, younger being like eight years ago. Um, but I've grown to continuously love strawberry. I, I got I to gotta ask you, the thing that caught my ear there was even toasted. Are you not toasting your Pop-Tarts generally? I, not all the time. No, 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 no. Sometimes I'll just eat them cold, but you know, they are better toasted, but sometimes just my patience isn't quite there for that 30 seconds in the toaster. I understand. It's weird, but I understand. So we are not just going to talk about Pop-Tarts today, although honestly, I could talk about Pop-Tarts for a lot longer. That's good. You I know that, that, that I'm going to. Did you know that Jerry Seinfeld has been sort of obsessed with Pop-Tarts for a while and has been trying to make a movie about Pop-Tarts. I think he started trying to make a comedy routine. Now he's trying to make a movie about it or maybe is making a movie about it. First, let me be clear to our audience that I do know who Jerry Seinfeld is. I know I am young, but I do know who he is. Uh, I did not know that though. And I think that's fantastic and that he should continue to pursue that dream of his. <laughs> All right, so let's talk cybersecurity uh, and then we'll get back to Pop-Tarts. So today we've got another great guest with us, uh, another good friend of, of Industrial Cybersecurity Pulse, Dino Busalaki of Velta Technology. He's talked to us a number of times on video. He's give, submitted articles to us. Um, he's one of, as, as I mentioned, Tyler and I do not come to this from a cybersecurity background, so we're still learning things. Dino was one of the first people I talked to who really drove home for me the difference between securing IT systems and securing OT systems and how many companies out there, whether they know the difference between the two or not, I'm sure most of them know it, are actually doing something about the difference between IT security and OT security. Uh, so many companies task their IT team with all cybersecurity and as Dino said from one of our first conversations, you take and you walk an IT person out onto the plant floor, and they see, as he calls them, the the big boxes with all the blinking Christmas lights, and they generally don't know what those are. They don't know what's in those boxes, and they're tasked with securing them. It's something we'll talk about in the in the interview with Dino. Is um, as he calls it, that is your cash register. If your OT operations shut down, you're in trouble because your company can't make money anymore. So taking OT and ICS security seriously is pretty important. So we're going to talk to him today about that, but we're also going to talk about how to prepare yourself 
for an incident that happens. And so some of the options are tabletop exercises, penetration testing. So we're going to talk about those. He's going to walk us through how that works and how that can be useful for your organization. Yeah. And Dino is a very, very knowledgeable individual. He's been in the industry for longer than I've been alive times two. So he provides a lot of great insight as always. And um, yeah, just knows a lot about, especially tabletop exercises and their importance. How are you young? We get it. We know you're young. We understand. Yeah, yeah. I'm old. You're young. That's the dichotomy. <laughs> we, we understand. I feel a little, I feel a little aged by this conversation of you even having to say, I want to be clear that I know who Jerry Seinfeld is. <laughs> it's no feather in your cap. People should know that. It's okay. Anyway. You got that. You got that uh, twilight sparkle of a vampire. Don't you worry about it. You're still, you're still young. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but with tabletop exercise, I think it's a really interesting thing. I, some companies do them. Some companies don't. We used an analogy long ago on an early podcast that I always like to use, which is my Titanic analogy, which is everybody used to like to say, here's what I do when the Titanic, if the Titanic was sinking and I was on it. But I don't think you can know until the chaos hits you and you're in that situation. And so when a cyber attack hits you, ransomware, DDoS attack, whatever it is, somebody's attacking your OT systems. If you haven't game planned what your organization is going to do to try to stop that attack, then you're not ready. I mean, you may, I may think that I know what Tyler is going to do and Tyler may think that he knows what I'm going to do. But if I'm thinking, oh, Tyler's got that covered and Tyler's thinking Gary's got that covered, then we've got a gap. And that's a problem when seconds count. Yeah. And it's always a matter of um, when, not if. I was going to say if, not when. But uh, yeah, it's always a matter of when, uh, not if. So just being prepared and uh, ready for that worst case scenario, if you will, then it'll just better prepare you for the future. Hey, speaking of uh, large organizations not being prepared, there mm. was a large organization this week that got rid of a lot of its intentionally and unintentionally, a lot of it's cybersecurity professionals. Yes, we are talking about Twitter and Elon Musk specifically. Uh, so recently their, their CISO, their cybersecurity head, uh, her name is, let me recall, Leah Kissner. She recently stepped down. Um, I don't blame her because it is the wild west over there right now, but she's She's been working for all of these huge Fortune 500 companies for a while now because she worked previously at Google or Alphabet, and um, she also worked for Apple. So, I mean, she's been in that position for a while, and I guess she also kind of has a history of kind of bouncing around a little bit. But, uh, yeah, she just she stepped down along with, I guess, half of Twitter, more likely. But, yeah, it's it's a crazy world over there. <laughs> When she wasn't the only one, the chief privacy officer stepped down, the chief compliance yep. officer stepped down. So you're looking at this major communication platform in the U.S. and globally, and suddenly three C-suite executives that are in charge of cybersecurity are gone. And what you called it is exactly right. It is Twitter since, since the Elon Musk takeover. It seems to have become the Wild West. Will it normalize? I have no idea. But right now, people are absolutely testing that security. You see, because of the whole verification process that's been going on, if you don't know, uh, Elon Musk wants people to pay $8 a month for the honor of being verified. 
which side note, if anybody can pay to be verified, what does verification mean? Um, I've been on Twitter for a long time, unfortunately, and it's, uh, or fortunately, uh, it is those check marks meant something. If you were, if there was a celebrity or a, uh, a journalist, more importantly for me, who was putting out information, I knew with the check mark that that journalist was legit. Well, the example I used to Tyler the other day is there is a much more famous Gary Cohen than me, especially since I'm not famous at all. Uh, there's a Gary Cohen who, who's the TV announcer of the New York Mets. To the best of my knowledge, he's not on Twitter. We get confused all the time, especially since I used to work for the Cubs. Um, and there would be nothing stopping me from paying $8 a month, keeping my handle as at Gary Cohen, and just putting in my bio that I'm the announcer for the Mets. And there's no chance anybody in the world could possibly know that I'm not because I've paid $8 a month for verification. Yeah. I mean, it just, yeah, it just complicates things a lot because now it's easier for people to fish with the pH at the front. And uh, just gather more data in that way gives more opportunity for um, different kinds of malware to get on your devices and all of that. So it's, yeah, it just really, it's really created a new hell storm. I mean, it's just the opportunity for things to go wrong uh, have just skyrocketed on Twitter. So we'll see if the uh, ship uh, <laughs> writes itself back up here in the next month or so, but uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed. Yeah, who knows? By the time somebody is listening to this podcast, this all may have normalized and they'll be like, why are they talking about what happened with Twitter? But man, is it chaos right now. And you see tons of mock accounts are coming out. And so it is. And I know, you know, I'm a big baseball fan. I used to work in baseball. So a lot of my personal Twitter is baseball accounts. And now anytime any news comes out, I have to go, is that the real Ken Rosenthal? Let me just double check that that actually <laughs> came from the guy that I know versus yeah. uh, somebody who was impersonating the the people that I know. So exactly. uh, an interesting world out there. But I think that is, aside from the whole verification fiasco, the idea that you now have this huge organization that is that very important communications come through that are that are important to corporations, that are important to the government, uh, that they're the people who are in charge of cybersecurity are no longer there. That to me is incredibly worrisome. Absolutely. It is. So well, with that, I'm going to go ahead and bring in our guest here who we don't talk about Twitter with at all or pop tarts for that matter. Nope. But Dino, like I said, has been a really good friend of ours. Dino Busalaki, um, is really an expert in ITOT convergence, in that gap that exists between securing IT systems and OT systems, and talks to us a lot today about penetration testing, which is something that I think is very valuable for people to know about. If you're not using it already, you'll learn a little bit from Dino about that. Uh, Dino is the principal partner and co-founder of Velta Technology, a system integrator that works uh, with OTICS security. He has close to four decades of global experience across information technology and operational technology, engineering, and industrial control systems with multiple globally recognized brands such as Anheuser-Busch and Rockwell Automation. Dino, thanks so much for joining us today. Happy to have you on as always. Thanks for having me, Gary. Appreciate it. So we generally start these podcast discussions in the same place, which I like to know a little bit about your background. I know you a little bit, but I don't know that our listeners do. So... Uh, how did you get into this line of work and, and why has kind of this ITOT become your, your lifeblood here? 
Well, it's a culmination of 40 years of working in technology, right? You know, my background spans that length of time working in IT and, and in the OT space, you know, working backwards from Delta Technology, uh, which is going into their fifth year. I was at Rockwell Automation uh, for a handful of years working in the Network Security Services Organization. Prior to that, I was working in the Rockwell Channel with their system integrators and their distributors. And then prior to that, I spent um, 20 years working in engineering for a very large adult beverage food manufacturer in uh, North America. And then prior to that, General Motors, Monsanto, um, the train company. So I've been around manufacturing for, for 35 years and in IT for 40. Started in the banking industry, uh, working in data centers and putting in ATM networks um, back in the 80s. So that's my background in a nutshell. So you've been doing this for a little while. Uh, give me your take, just to start us off, on the state of OT security. Because we talk about this all the time, but when people think about cybersecurity, they generally think about IT systems and the IT team. Uh, but when you're talking about manufacturing, just considering IT is is only considering half the picture. That's that's a true statement, right? I mean, there's a there's a a large uh, initiatives have been going on for quite a while, whether the digital transformation industry 4.0, that's uh, brought us to the point of where we've been connecting all of these machines on the plant floor. Every, every new machine center that comes in is a smart machine, has a lot of connectivity to it, you know, and, and they're physical outcome producing assets, right? Controlled by digital outcomes. And uh, they're connected to the network and the IT organizations, you know, they don't they don't own these assets. And what I mean by that, they don't have the responsibility for safety for them or choosing which ones to use or how to maintain them. So when you talk about securing them, it's like, well, if you don't know all these things about what they do, then how are you going to protect them? Right. And you can't say, well, I'm just going to throw an intrusion prevention system, a firewall into the mix and call it a day. You know, that's not good enough. Right. It's, it can be very disruptive. There's very large portions of that environment that, that are invisible to that firewall, uh, to the uh, IT tools. A lot of the IT tools are incompatible with the pro protocols and applications that are running in the OT environment. So, you know, it's very difficult to say, you know, how do you get IT engaged? And, and they have a role. You know, there's governance, there's policy, there's auditing that they can provide. But when it really comes to the measures of how you're going to secure them and protect them, it really needs to be driven by the ecosystem of te automation technology vendors and partners who supply these systems, these machine centers. That makes perfect sense. I also wanted to ask you, you guys at Velta, you like the term digital safety versus, you know, cybersecurity. Most people talk about cybersecurity. You guys use digital safety. Why did you guys land on that term and what do you, what do you think the benefits are? Well, safety is everybody's responsibility, number one. And, and that's one of the ways to get the OT teams engaged in this dialogue um, when, you, when you start talking about bringing these tools in. Because even if IT is maybe driving the initiative, you know, which is a good thing, you know, that they know that there's something that needs to be done, you got to get the OT team to the table. You know, so you got to make it so that it, that it makes sense to them. Why is this relevant to me? Why should I care? Right. And so safety is something that they do care about, right? Process integrity, you know, operations is something that they really care about. You know, I read something pretty interesting. Actually, it was in that one of the recent SANS um, uh, publishing that came out is that IT helps you manage your business. OT is why you are in business, right? 
So they're the reasons why you're in business, right? They're the cash registers, they're the revenue generating stream on that plant floor. And so IT, again, is managing why managing your business systems in the environment, but they're not the reason why you're in business, right? And so you got to get those people who are responsible for why you're in business engaged and how they're going to secure and protect these control systems that make the products that they make. Yeah, let's talk about like protecting those specific control systems too. Wow, English. Um, I know you know a lot about tabletop exercises. Could you kind of like walk us through, I guess, the importance of those, what role they play? Yeah, the tabletop exercise is really good and get all of the key stakeholders involved in in the discussion. That includes the C-suite, that includes risk, IT, and OT being involved in this discussion so that you can at least get everything out there to describe how are you securing that environment today? One of the questions I always like asking is, are you applying the same due diligence to secure and protect the plant floor as you do your business systems, right? Your enterprise. And if you're not, why aren't you doing that? And these tabletop exercises are really good at bringing that out. You know, one of the key things that I always like doing, hopefully, is if I can get to the plant early before you get to the tabletop exercise is to have pictures taken of the control systems and their specific manufacturing facilities and present those to them. Because a lot of times you'll have the IT executive, the CISO or the CIO or their, their IT cyber group presenting the enterprise security strategy. That's great. And as they go through it and doing all the things that they're doing, then you can pivot to these control systems and say, let's talk about these. And usually what will happen nine out of 10 times is you'll hear that part of the organization go, well, I don't think those are in my scope. And as soon as the CEO or the CFO or the COO or the risk people hear that, they're like, well, wait a minute. I thought you were the cybersecurity guys, right? And OT sitting over there going, yeah, we're not the OT security guys because I don't have budget. I don't have resources and nobody told me that it was my job. And so those are the gaps that you've got to get out onto the table really, really quickly in front of those folks so they can start figuring out what can they do when you talk about um, some of the controls around uh, how you're going to provide visibility, you know, boundaries, access, exposures, and continuity inside that environment from a security perspective, right? And start really digging into it. And every single security framework that you go through, the number one tenant of all of them is asset inventory actionable, real-time asset inventory, and not a snapshot in time, but monitoring as, as it is right now in real time. You know, a lot of organizations think that an assessment or doing PENS test, right? If you're going to do a PENS test on a plant, that plant is going to be shut down before they let you do that, right? Because it's disruptive in what it does. You know, the nature of what you're probing and scanning inside of that environment. So the only way they'd ever let you do that is when they're in some planned downtime maintenance window to fix stuff, clean stuff, you know, replace stuff, you know, to get ready for maybe uh, their their next cycle of startups, you know, Um, and that's when you do the testing. Well, you're missing out on a whole bunch of stuff when you're doing that, right? And these these environments are more dynamic than people realize. They think that the OT environment is very static. It's not. There's assets coming and going, there's applications coming and going, there's users coming and going, there's new protocols coming and going, there's new remote access into that environment. There's a whole bevy of activity going on inside that plant that nobody's really tracking or monitoring because IT's not watching it because they don't know what's good or bad. They don't know what's right or wrong. They don't know. 
you know, that somebody made a change to a PLC, that doesn't mean anything to them. It means a lot to the OT guys, right? If somebody made a change to a PLC. So, um, so the PENS testing is, 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 in my opinion, is something that you do in the enterprise. It's, it's done in environments that's active and hot and live to do that. Going in there and, and, and trying to attack the, um, the control system environment would, would could potentially shut you down. It could cause, uh, it could break equipment, right? You could have faults. It, it, it's very disruptive. And we've seen that, right? I mean, that's what these tools are all about, which is one of the reasons why Delta technology, you know, was formed was to build a system integration organization specifically geared around the control system, just like SIs are today that build machine centers or OEMs to build and program uh, control system environments, you still you need a group that specializes specifically in protecting and securing ICS. And those don't exist today. And there's a lot of vendors out there who sell the technology, but being a practitioner to go in there and know how to put that tool in and, and, and expand its visibility down through that control system, down into those panels to get those sensors in there, and then to make sense of all of that stuff, you know, you can't eat the elephant in one bite. So you got to break it up in smaller chunks. And that's part of what we do from an operational standpoint, localization standpoint, and how you can take these tools up and, and, and provide actionable information to specific groups that are responsible maybe for the packaging lines versus the group that's responsible for mixing and blending. I always like using the breweries as an example because I know them really, really well. And you know, packaging doesn't necessarily care what's going on in brewing. And brewing doesn't necessarily care what's going on in packaging. But in, in the big picture of everything that's going on there from a cybersecurity perspective, you've got to be able to take the things that are relevant to brewing and get it to them and so that they can manage it. So they can set up how they want to handle alerts, who's going to be responsible for those and resolving those, who's going to put together a capital plan um, to maybe think about replacing some of these older assets that we have, uh, who's going to do the mitigation or mediation work and the research on what patches we could apply. So, you need to make it set up for those groups that are closer to those assets versus somebody who's too far away that doesn't really know, you know, because you'll hear everybody say, well, you can't patch those things. Uh, how do you know? Have you even looked? Have you read the advisory bulletins and studied them to see what your options are? You know, and, and so, and that's, and that's where, you know, where we put together a connected device index and you'll find that that's more and more relevant. It's the vulnerability management, you know, and again, it's not a one and done, it's not an assessment. You need to do that in real time and have an accurate picture of the, the weaknesses that are associated with the assets that you have. So you can keep an eye on them and then determine if there's things that you can do and start your research and your work, right? And of course that requires money and people to do that. And, and, it's, a, and it's a new skill set for some, right? Organizations need to determine, you know, are they gonna invest that? And it goes back to what I said earlier, are you applying the same amount of due diligence to secure and protect your plant floor as you are your enterprise? And if you're not doing that, why aren't you doing that? Yeah. And we, you keep kind of flirting with it a little bit, but like one of the things that we talk about a lot here at ICS Pulse since day one is ITOT conversions. Um, how does that play into tabletop exercises specifically? Well, on the convergence side, it's, you know, I think IT can help um, vet the tools, right? They have the ability to, again, policy and governance, you know, the roles that they participate in that piece. Um, you know, sometimes you'll hear, you know, I, I, I'm a firm believer that if 
IT was going to have a significant role in running a plant that a CIO would become the plant manager, right? You know, and versus saying, I got a couple of people who have responsibility. We're working with the OT guys. And the problem with that is, you know, a mid-tier manufacturer, they might have a dozen plants, 30 plants, 40 plants. Well, how many people do you think that takes in order to grasp the amount of assets that you have scattered throughout those facilities to get your arms around them, right? And so it's a bigger task than, than any of them realize right now, in my view. And so on the ITOT convergence, you know, I, I, I prefer the method of taking IT skilled individuals that know networking really well, know cyber or know uh, intrusion prevention systems, intrusion detection systems that they're familiar with very well, and move them into the OT organization. They don't work for the CIO anymore. They work for the business unit. Again, the reason why you're in business to work with that organization and work and work with their partners, right? Sit down with the Rockwell teams and the Siemens teams and the Schneider Electric teams and GE and Honeywell and all their SIs and OEMs when it comes to trying to figure this out. You can't sit over there and work with, you know, a um, Microsoft entirely to figure this out, right? Or a Cisco entirely to figure this out per se, right? Because they, they don't necessarily have the skill sets to work on that side of the fence either. So you have to start working with those automation technology uh, partners and building relationships with them. I mean, if I'm the CIO of a large manufacturing plant and 70% of my automation technologies are, are Rockwell Automation, I'd want to have a relationship with Rockwell, right? I want to know about our service and support contracts. I'd want to be able to meet with them, the account management teams that are responsible for servicing us, the distributors, the OEMs. I'd want to build a relationship with them. And, and, that, and part of a tabletop exercise should be that, right? And I've asked that question of CIOs in the past, and it doesn't always go over very well, right? And it's like, well, then how can you take the role of securing these if you don't even know who to call if you have a problem with, you know, ControlLogic's PLCs and, a, and a, an exploit with zero data just came out yesterday and asking Rockwell, what are they doing about it? Who are you going to call? You know, because the OT guys aren't looking for it. They're not getting, they're not sitting there paying attention to those bulletins as they come out. I mean, tabletop exercises, I mean, taking it back to the beginning, the whole idea is have an incident response plan, right? You have to understand what people are going to do because once a cyber attack hits, chaos is going to break out. And if you haven't game planned it at all, then how do you know who's going to handle what? And I think there are too many organizations out there that just don't think about response until the incident has already occurred. That's yeah, very true. That, that's a true statement. You know, they don't. And they, because it's, it, again, you have to do the exercises. It's something as simple as taking backups and having backups, but then being able to say, okay, here we are going to do incident response. I want to see if I got the backups that we have. If we have them, will they work to restore and get back up and running? Right. Do I do part of the incident response? You know, what are my options here? Do I have good backups? And I will tell you that some of these control systems have been sitting out there for a dozen years or 20 years, trying to find everything you need in order to, to build a machine from the ground back up could take you a long time, right? So are you, are you moving towards virtualization where you have VMs for your SCADA systems versus bare metal builds, right? At least with a VM, you, you can have a, a, a gold image. That if you take a patch, you know, you got, a, you got a, a patch come in in 2023 in March from Microsoft that's going to disable and turn off DCOM forever, 
right? It's an object communications module that Microsoft has. A lot of SCADA systems use, especially older operating systems. It's going to break your HMIs if, if you take this patch inadvertently, right? There was some, some zero-day patches that uh, CSIC just came out with uh, this week, you know, the zero-day exploits. And you know IT's going to be out there and patch up a storm, right? They're going to patch everything. Well, we know the plant floor doesn't do that. But sometimes the plant floor gets caught up in patches that get pushed out to their environment and it breaks their stuff. And we've seen that too, right? So again, back to your incident response, how do you prepare for that? You know, why are, are you preparing? Are you practicing the same amount of due diligence for, the, for your plant floor as you do your enterprise? You know, they have backups. They got disaster recovery sites. You know, it's not like you can disaster recovery a plant per se, right? I mean, if you lose a plant, it's down. You just can't say, well, I'll just go make my stuff somewhere else, right? But there are things that you can do with defensible architectures, with backups, with um, continuity planning. There's, there's things that you could do to be prepared to get back up and running as quickly as possible. You know? Otherwise, you could be down for months. And like you said, that downtime is so important on the OT side. Like, I like that you always use the term the cash register because whether you're brewing beer or pushing oil through a pipeline or whatever it is, if you can't do those things, yep. you, you can't make money. Yeah, and that's why you're in business, right? That's, that is why you are in business, right? So that, that's, the, that's the bridge that has to be crossed between those that manage your business versus those who define why you're in business. Right. So, so why do so many businesses find themselves unprepared when an attack hits? Well, I think a lot of them rely on, I don't think, I know, they rely on cybersecurity insurance, right, the, the, from that risk factor. And we've seen what's been going on with that, with the recent um, uh, announcement of what went on with Mondelez and the, their insurance carriers. We saw it with the uh, uh, Merck prior to that. Um, you got Lloyds of London came out a couple months ago wanting to put the war exclusions in there going to next year. So they can say, hey, look, we're not going to defend you if you get attacked and it's been tied to a nation state, right? And so what we're seeing is uh, insurance companies are being dropped. We're finding that their, their, their policies are going up. Um, you know, the, these insurance companies have underfunded what they've been selling. You know, there's some groups out there that are doing a lot of homework on this. I think you're going to see the insurance industry get very smart about how they're going to assign this if they're even going to get into this business if you want cybersecurity insurance. So organizations have been relying on that until you, you need it and all of a sudden you're not getting what you want because they're not paying for business interruption, you know, or, or liability and property damage or anything along those lines that can happen when control systems um, get out of control. Yeah. So with these businesses that don't really have too many cybersecurity practices, I guess, in place or digital safety practices, even um, where would the, be the best place for them to find, I guess, tabletop exercises to kind of run through for the, all of that? Where, yeah, where would be the best place for them to find resources? Yeah. Again, it goes back to it's around control systems you need to work within the ecosystem of the people who sell you that stuff, right? You can't go to the groups that are IT focused. I call them the crossovers of those IT organizations, technology companies that started in the IT realm 
and are trying to, to, to back their way into the industrial space, um, mainly because they, they, they don't have a lot of the, the, the knowledge of how those control systems run. Even their sellers are, are not um, in, involved in that. They don't know how to go and sell into that space, have that conversation. So the, in my view, the OT folks need to sit down and start talking to, where do you write your checks to get what you need to run those machines that help you run your business? Is it Rockwell? Is it their channel? Is it Siemens? Is it their channel? Is it the OEMs and the system integrators that you rely on for service and support and warranty and maintenance of those systems? That's where you need to start with them. And because they're the ones that are going to have to start growing up and maturing and trying to figure out how they can be better stewards of assisting their clients on how to protect and to secure this environment, right? Because everybody else is looking at it from a measure of duty of care, right? What, what amount of duty of care are you exhibiting to try to do a better job of protecting and securing these control systems? Do you have incident response? Do you have secure remote access into that environment? Do you have a vulnerability management plan? You know, do you have uh, defensible architectures or boundaries set up for this? Have you been doing anything? And do you have an accurate, up-to-date inventory of the assets that you have today? Again, demonstrating some amount of duty of care. Or are you, have you done nothing? And I will tell you that in, if I talk to 10 companies, maybe two or three have started doing something that are aware, even had the tools. And even those companies that have had the tools for the last five, five years, four or five years, they're not using them correctly because they just bought them, you know, somebody sold them to them and gave it to them. And then they didn't know what to do with it because it became really ugly, really fast. When you start sucking in thousands of assets, half of which might be IT assets that are commingled with the OT environment because the networks aren't separated. There's no boundary. Right. And so, you know, it's like, how do you, how do you um, start separating that stuff? And who's responsible for it and assigning it, you know, and a lot of companies struggle with that. And so what slowly happens is those platforms they bought have become shelfware, right? And so they, 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 get, they get frozen because, they, 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 um, because they, they don't know what to do, right? They haven't been trained. They're not, being, they're not continually being trained. I mean, I've seen clients that, that have received these tools and haven't updated their threat bundles in years. What the hell is the purpose of that, right? No patch updates for the system that you bought, no threat bundle updates, none of that stuff. You know, and if you don't have a service, you know, I mean, IT, that, you know, that's really a, new, a, a very uh, good business model of what IT's done is that servicing model, how to manage and maintain systems, right? Whether it's in the cloud or have your own data center, OT needs to be able to start doing the same thing, right? They need to start bringing that same type of services and care into their realm to protect and secure their control systems as IT has done for the enterprise, you know? There, there, there's a map that they can follow. They just have to use different players in a lot of cases. Makes sense. One of the big concerns, obviously, when you're talking about ICS or OT security is downtime. We were talking about pen, pens testing earlier, penetration testing. Is there a role for penetration testing when you're talking about ICS or OT cybersecurity? Yeah, but it has to be passive in nature, right? I mean, these, these intrusion detection systems that are passive, is, is, a, is a better way to start versus trying to pierce your way in from the outside in and trying to get all the way down to the filler on my packaging line and trying to be disruptive to it. Even though you may not recognize the fact that, you, that you're not trying to be harmful to that machine, the fact that you're probing and scanning and asking questions into that environment can be disruptive to my filler, 
running my packaging line that if it's not running, it's costing me 80 grand an hour downtime, right? And so, um, so the pen testing needs to be inside out and it needs to be passive is how you start. Um, Got it. And, yeah. and in that way you can do it in real time and you want to do it while the environment's running. It doesn't do you any good to do a pen test because it's been scheduled and planned and the plant's like, well, yeah, you can do it while we're, we're shut down for the next two weeks because we've got all this other work to do. You can do your pen test in that. Well, what's the value in that? Right? To check a box and say, hey, we got a pen testing done. You got PLCs out there that might be trying to get on the internet, but you don't know that because they're offline right now. They're not running. Yep. You may even be able to see some of those control systems down just because of the architecture of that environment, right? It takes, it takes a lot of um, knowledge to be able to go through a plant. They may have 100 panels out there, and that's 100 different uh, points of interest that are endpoints that you need to figure out what's, what's in there, what's going on. And if you're not seeing any of that stuff, then you're missing out on huge chunks of your environment that, that was invisible to you. And, 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 we, and every, everybody's that way, you know, every single organization is that way, every single one. I, I just have one last question for you. Well, I'll say that and then I'm gonna ask you three more, but I think this is the last question I have for you. Uh, when it comes to ICS or OT security, there seems to be a little bit of a knowledge gap. It's something you said earlier, cybersecurity didn't used to be the job of OT. You've got legacy systems. You've got legacy people who have been there forever and didn't have to worry about cybersecurity. If there was one piece of advice you could give to companies about their ICS or OT security, what would it be? Well, start, start demonstrating some amount of duty of care that you are, are, are trying to collect information about your environment, really build that inventory. I mean, all of the regulatory requirements have been coming out with critical infrastructure, the latest one on the chemical action plan that came out. If you read what CISA and SANS and some of these uh, organizations, the NERC SIP folks, you know, all of those regulatory bodies, the, the thing that they're asking for is real-time, up-to-date asset inventory. Every single one. Are you doing that at a minimum, right? And so that, that would be one. The other thing I would do is if you've already started down the path and you've picked a platform, let's say you've picked an intrusion detection system platform and you have it in place today, you know, every manufacturer, especially mid-sized manufacturers and large, always have activity. There's brownfield, greenfield, life cycle replacement, expansion projects going on. Anytime you bring in a new um, panel, a new machine center, it should come in with security already embedded in it. Right. Nobody went out and said, you know, we got to figure out how to keep people from flying out of cars and put in, in seatbelts. Right. It took the OEM to, to do that. And you put the seatbelts in when you build the car. You put the airbags in when you build the car, the backup cameras, the sensors. Right. Every, everything coming in should be prepared with to be um, to protect and secure digital safe that panel that you're buying. You know, it's much easier to do it up front than it is to try to retro it on the backside. Right, because that takes downtime to get in and open up those panels and take a really good look at the network that's in there and how everything's connected and looking for some of the key specific pieces you need, like real estate and power and network ports, span ports, things of that nature, in order to, to um, uh, pull information out of that panel and get it up to one of these intrusion detection system platforms. So do it up front, right? Start everything coming in today. If I've, if I've already got 
uh, clarity in my house, every new panel coming in should have a clarity sensor in it right out of the gate, right? Because it doesn't cost a lot to do it in the beginning, right? But people aren't thinking that way, right? They're just not. And that's going to have to come from the OEMs and the SIs to, to, to do that because they're the ones that, that design and build those panels. They're the ones that design and build those machines. And who's going to say, I don't want extra security and safety in my panel. Just leave that stuff out. Who's going to say that? <laughs> you know? Tell that to your risk people. You know? Hopefully nobody's going to say that. Uh, right. yeah, I mean... Mind you, we've got companies like Twitter who just all of their security people just resigned and or were fired. But most people, yeah, if you offer them a uh, an affordable way to protect their systems, they're probably well. You know, it's unfortunate that as that is our industry needs those people, right? That are coming out that have that technology background who own cybersecurity, right? I mean, our industry is is ripe for new resources, capital, human capital, right? We take them wherever we can get them. And, and, and um, a lot of organizations are looking for them. I guarantee you the Siemens and the Rockwells and the Booz Allens and Pricewaterhouses, and they're all OEMs. They're all looking for that skill set. You know, we got to train them on the control system side, the industrial side. Um, but if they're out there looking, there, there's an industry that's hungry for them. I can tell you that. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, you know, always a pleasure to have you. And I have to say, this is the first time you and I have ever spoken and baseball hasn't come up. We're in the off season now, <laughs> I know. but Dino's in St. Louis and we're in Chicago. So there's a little, uh, there's a little bit of a rivalry there. Yeah. Uh, although uh, both of our teams, yours did a lot better than ours, but uh, both yeah. of them didn't make it to the final dance. No, they didn't. And yeah, so that's uh, all right. Spring, spring ball is February. It's not too far off. That's right. And we'll start this whole thing over again. And the next time we have you or, or uh, your colleague, Jim Cook, in a podcast, they'll uh, hear yeah. us talk about the Cardinals and the Cubs. Yeah. Oh, I'll come up for a game. Cards Cup Series always would be a good time. Absolutely. Love to do it. All right, Dino, thanks so much for being on with us. We always appreciate your time. Some great information there. Thanks, thanks so much for being here. Tyler, good to see you, sir. All right. And that was Dino Busalaki of Velta Technology. Very smart guy, as you heard. He is very much in touch with the operational technology side of the plant floor and all of that good jazz and had a lot of great knowledge about uh, tabletop exercises and um, the pen exercises as well. Yeah, he's uh, one of the reasons that I like talking to him, like I said, like I said in the intro, is he's one of the first people who really started teaching me what it means to try to secure OT systems. Um, the And I, I remember one of the first conversations we had was about who should own cybersecurity on the plant floor. And I think I asked him that in a video and he was like, OT, OT has to own it. They have to own it because they're the people who understand it. Yeah. And which is, that's a very, you in the, in the cybersecurity world, or as they talk about digital safety world, um, when you talk about ITOT convergence, they almost make uh, IT sound like the side that should be not in control, but like almost like a designated leader. Just because when you think OT systems, you think legacy. When you think legacy, you think people that maybe don't know how to operate it. Whereas when he's coming from, the people on the plant floor should be the ones in control, which I think that also makes a level of sense. I am not an IT professional or an OT professional. So this is all purely... Tyler thoughts, but um, I think that it was very interesting to hear that perspective because that's not a perspective I've necessarily heard a lot, at least in my time within the actual cybersecurity industry. 
And I would think he would say, and I've talked to him about this, that it has to be a combination of the two. It has to be IT and OT working of together. But OT needs to be the people who own it. They need to be, they need to at least have a significant seat at the table when organizational and enterprise cybersecurity is being discussed because they just understand what's going on out there. The simple thing, and he mentioned this in the podcast, like patching. For an IT team, patching is standard procedure. You're going to patch everything. You can't always do that on the OT side because if you run patches, you're going to have to take things down. And it's it's a much bigger conversation. So if IT just you know takes a sledgehammer to it and uses their practices on OT, that may cause major disruptions. It may cause downtime, as Dino called it. It may turn off the cash registers, which is a big problem. So that's why I always like talking to him is he's got, he has information technology background. He also has operational technology background. So I think he's got a fairly unique understanding of how these two teams need to play nicely in the sandbox together. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, thank you for coming on another little cybersecurity journey with us at the ICS Pulse Podcast. As always, please check out the website as well. You probably found the podcast for the website, so maybe you have already, but it is industrialcybersecuritypulse.com. That was industrialcybersecuritypulse.com, said clearly. All kinds of great information, threats and vulnerabilities, um, ITOT convergence, like we talked about today. We have articles on penetration testing, which he said was not great for the OT environment, but can be useful in an IT environment. Tabletop exercises, all kinds of great information on there. Yep. And that's where you also find our next podcast episode that drops every single Tuesday currently. And as always, we want to leave you guys a way to contact us. So if you are interested in talking to either Tyler or myself, about industrial cybersecurity, you can always hit us up on Twitter. We are at ICS underscore Pulse, or you can email us. I'm G Cohen at CFEmedia.com. He's T Wall or Twall at CFEmedia.com. And that is spelled exactly like what is right next to you right now, probably, or somewhere around you, like the wall right next to you. Just add a T in front of it, and that's all you need. Yeah, thank you for joining us this week, and uh, we'll catch you guys next week. Stay safe out there.